and it's just an honor and a privilege and a joy to be able to open up the Word together and listen from God's message to how do it apply to our lives. I mean, it's a challenge, but it's awesome thing, isn't it? All right, so before I begin and just to kind of get into the Word, I want to ask you a question. So what would you like to eat as your last meal of your life? That's a very theological question, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not really. But just for fun, like, any thoughts? Like, what do you like to eat? Come on, think about it. A nice pokeball, maybe? Poke- <laughs> tacos? Christina's tacos. Christina's tacos. <laughs> All right, that sounds like, yeah, I like that. I like that. Anybody else? Like, you just want to, like, this is my last meal. Nobody? For me, it's katsu curry. You're like, dude, that guy's so Japanese, right? I mean, but it's like, I love it. You know, this katsu, you know what that is? It's like this panko breaded pork or maybe chicken. I like them both, right? And then you put it on a hot, steamy rice, and then you put the katsu that's straight from the fryer, and then you pour, smother that with a curry sauce. Mmm, yeah, you know what? I don't even like, like that every day because it's so heavy. But as for my last meal of my life, it has to be katsu curry. But um, anyways... Um, was that spicy? How spicy? I gotta go, uh, you know, I can't go all out on my last meal because I might die with my first bite, right? So I, I gotta, like, nice and mild, but it has to be katsu. It's just, I don't know, something about that. That combination of, like, katsu and curry. Anyways, more on a serious note, guys. Um, what, though? Okay, so imagine that time with, like, your last meal, but then that time of meal, like, what? kind of conversation would you be having at that time i mean it could be somebody who you i mean absolutely somebody you love maybe your children grandchildren and i know it's kind of hard to think about that the end but what would that conversation be i know it's not going to be about okay did you replace your toilet papers or did you replace the (laughs) the, the fix the light bulb or fix whatever it won't it may it won't be i guarantee because it's going to be about Something that you really, really want to share. Something that you want to make sure that this gener- next generation will receive. It's about the legacy of your life. And it, it's going to be about a very personal, very much of a subject that you are sharing for the sake of that next generation or whoever you're list- they're listening to. And um, I don't think it's ever too early to think about that. You know, what do you want to leave behind? What legacy? What kind of will, so to speak, to that? You want to make sure that the next generation hear from you. Hey, do you want to know what Jesus said at the last meal? We're going to look into that today. We're actually going to look into what he ate that night. I don't think it was katsukuri, but we'll find out, okay? Um, but um, today, it's about the Last Supper. And you've seen this picture before of this very famous painting. I believe it's Da Vinci, right? But, um, you know, this, it's a touched up, so it looks very more, a lot more clear. But this is the night we're talking about. It's a, this has definitely a European, European twist to it, which is okay because it's art. But, you know, uh, but, you know, these are Jewish men who are meeting in that room. And it looked a little bit different, but the essence, I think we could kind of look from this picture as well. Obviously, this is known as the Last Supper, also known as the Lord's supper or the lord's table and it's the very first communion where it was led by jesus christ himself last week we did communion here and this all originates from that night of jesus christ giving himself up to us so uh let's look at the uh, gospel of luke we're in chapter 22 
man, we came this far. We started from very first, chapter 1, all the way. We looked through the journey of Jesus from Galilee to now Jerusalem. And he's about to be crucified. And it's coming up very soon. And this is the night where he is betrayed. And we're going to look at that story of that time during this thing called the Passover Festival. This was a significant event among the Jewish people because every year they would come to the temple of Jerusalem. So all over Israel, these men, out, out, um, so men considered is 13 and up back then. So they would all come every year to this temple to celebrate and commemorate the Exodus story in the Old Testament. For them, it wasn't the Old Testament. It was their history, right? And it was their identity and how God delivered them out of Egypt in the, uh, the captivities or the slavery of Egypt. Now they're freed and went into this promised land and they're celebrating all that God has done. You know, isn't it ironic? Because these Pharisees, these are the Jewish leaders. They're the teachers of the law. They knew the Bible and they are celebrating while the people, the Jewish people are celebrating this deliverance from slavery and that's exactly what Passover time is all about. In the meantime, these Jewish people are capturing Jesus, who is the ultimate deliverer of, from slavery. Isn't that ironic? It's happening, celebrating on one hand, but on the other hand, they're persecuting, they're, they're killing the Savior, which is so ironic to me. But this is this Passover time that it had to happen. And we're going to look at verse 1 and through 3 at first. I'm going to read this to you. But I believe this passage is, to me, one of the most, the, the scariest passage in all of Bible. I mean, it's terrifying to me. So I'm going to read this. Um, and then uh, from verse 1, it says, <clears throat> Now that the festival of the unleavened bread, it says also the Passover, it was approaching. In verse 2, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, including the Pharisees, they were looking for ways to get rid of Jesus. Another word for they're trying to kill him, getting rid of him. And then... Um, but they couldn't do it because they were afraid of the people. Verse 3, the Satan, Satan, entered judas called iscariot one of the 12 how scary is that satan entered into this man named judas and it's not all satan's fault actually because judas created that space for satan to come in he allowed it to happen so he was very much responsible for that as well because you know he couldn't take his eye out of greed or money and he he wanted to make sure he needed some assurance and he basically sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was not like that from the beginning. He, he definitely was following Jesus at first, but somewhere along the line, he went in the wrong direction. We don't know exactly when, but then at the end of that journey, Satan entered into him, which is so scary to me. The reason why is that that could happen to any of us if we're not careful. If we're putting, if we're creating space for saying the evil thoughts to come in, it will come in. And if we're, you know, it didn't happen that way. And we're not, we, our journey with Jesus never started out, out that way. But somewhere along the line, there is a possibility that we could go the other way and ultimately betray Jesus. And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's scary because that could happen to me for not, if I'm not careful. But then please know that this is scary and it is tough to read, but encouragement from Jesus is coming at the end. So please keep an eye out for the encouragement. And we want to be here being encouraged, not discouraged. But as this betrayal uh, plot is 
going on because Judas agreed to betray Jesus. He says, I'll be the accuser of Jesus. I'll be the one who says he is not the right teacher. So then he, there's reasons to be Jesus to be captured. And you know what's sad is that because people were celebrating Passover, they were preoccupied by that. So it gave them a perfect opportunity for the, the, uh, the soldiers to capture Jesus. Because it, when it, if, it has, if that happened when during the day or during the time where the crowd was around, like it, it could have been a very much of a riot because people love Jesus. So they don't want to see Jesus being captured. So it had to happen in this night during this festival time where people were celebrating at home. And that's when our Savior gets taken away. This plot is going on, instigated by Judas but then, well, mean, in the meantime, this Passover meal is about to go down. And as I said earlier, all the men from all over Israel is coming down. So all the rooms are very filled. Kind of like, you know, when Jesus was born, a lot of the houses were all filled. But there was a space God gave them. And supernaturally, we read that, hey, there, there's a man with the, with the water jug. And then, you know, it's an, all that story is happening. So there's a room for them. And then they get to meet. And the Last Supper began. I want to turn to your attention to verse 14, which says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In other words, before the cross, I need to get together with you. And you see the picture of the Last Supper. He says recline, and right here they're sitting in the, on like a, like a chair, right? So it's, it's a little different, right? Because in the Jewish culture, it's like, they were like reclining. You're like, wow, that's like not... You know, as a parent, like, you know, you shouldn't do that. But back then they did that, right? And, 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 and this was the way they died. But meantime, we know from the Gospel of John, the account there, that Jesus began to wash their feet. It doesn't say in Luke, but it says in John. It was around that time where when they got sat together, they're reclining as their feet goes out. The, the servants would come and wash their feet because they got sandals, they got dirt all over, and they, they would wash. But it is Jesus, the king who we just praised about, he became the humble king, got on his knees and began to wash their feet. I mean, it's crazy, but it's happening as if Jesus is saying that, hey guys, thank you so much for serving and, and being with me for the past three years. I, I'm, I'm not going to be with you guys, but I want to say thank you. For all the years of coming and suffering and just going through this with me. He's washing their feet. Just imagine that sight. The king of all. The king of glory. Getting down on his knees and washing the feet. I mean, what a sight that is. So now, after that took place, the meal began. And this was Jesus' last meal. And it's not katsu curry, but it is lamb that they're eating because lamb is being sacrificed. Well, this is pretty good, right? But then there's other ceremonial aspects of this Passover meal. For example, unleavened bread. It was about the bread that people had to really prepare really quickly without the eat. So it was unleavened, right? So it was the, it was a, that was the type of bread that the Israelites made when they were doing the Exodus because they needed to hurry. So every year they did this unleavened bread and they ate during Passover so that to remember the Exodus. Or there was this bitter herbs that they... They went through some bitterness, so they ate that. There's wine that represents the blood, the sacrifice, because you know the, where the blood came in is when the Passover came. You know the story of God's Spirit passing over the house with the cross or with the red mark with the blood over their doorframe, on their doorframe. God's Spirit will pass over. And everybody else, God's 
spirit will come and then destroy the firstborn of, of, the, of the, the Egyptian household. And it's, it's a sad story, but it had to happen because that story led to the exodus. Like the Egypt, Egypt was like, dude, if that's going to happen to us, we need you guys to leave. You know, we need you to go. So because of the Passover of the God's spirit, because of the red cross on top of the door frame, they were able to be released and to remember all this, they're eating the food, representing all those ceremonial food. The bread, the blood. But this all comes back to Jesus. He is saying that that's me. And that communion again, the first communion. And I am the bread that's going to be broken. That was actually a sign that came all the way in Exodus, but that was talking about me. The doorframe, the blood of lamb that is on the doorframe, it is my blood. And those who accept my blood, my salvation, my forgiveness, the Spirit of God will pass over you, and there will be no judgment. Everything is all symbolic. And Jesus is bringing history together, and this meal, isn't this this amazing time of meal together? And then Jesus led this communion and says, and this is the line that I always say, we always say at the time of communion, it says in verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I mean, everything is tying together. And this was the message that Jesus really had to make sure that the disciples heard that night. His last speech, his last message. And that basically says, even though I'm going to be gone, I'm going to be suffering, I'm going to die. But before I go, I want to offer myself to you. Please receive me. That was Jesus' last message at this meal. This was his most important thing that he wanted to make sure they heard. And then after the message is given, the beginning of the end is now here. He predicts the betrayal of Judas. And in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. It's going to happen. But woe to the man who betrays him. Talking about Judas. And then verse 23, They began to question among themselves, Which of them might be who would do this? Who's going to betray? And go back to the Last Supper picture. You see the people on the side there, they're talking. They're like arguing, especially over there. They're like, who's going to betray? They're like pointing fingers. You, you, you? Oh, no, 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 no. You? They're all pointing fingers at each other because their concern right now is who's going to betray Jesus. While Jesus gave the most amazing message, amazing message over a meal about him being given out to them, being offered to them, as you could see from the picture, disciples didn't quite get what it means, what it meant. They didn't quite get it because, of course, they didn't know what this communion meant at that point. We're like, oh, okay, okay, sure, if you say so, kind of like that. But then once they went through and saw the cross and then the resurrection, that's when they felt, wow, that's exactly what Jesus meant. He became the bread that was broken. In other words, he's dying on the cross. And then his blood shared for the remission of sin. They finally got it. But at that night, they didn't quite get it. Because the real meaning re- was revealed to them later on. 
what mattered to them that night was this, in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you believe that? I mean, in this time of the Last Supper, Jesus' last meal, his, 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 his last speech, their concern was, you know, the, the picture, you know, like, all right, all right, who's betraying? And then later on, that became to be who's the greatest. Or if, if I'm not going to betray, oh, I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, 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 I'm the greatest because I held his bag for the whole time. Oh, no, no, I'm the greatest. You're not the greatest because your mom ain't a Christian yet. You know, that kind of conversation is happening. Like, he's just not a follower of Jesus. So, like, who's the greatest? Who's better? No, no, you better, I'm better. Really? The Last Supper, church. And that's happening. Who's the greatest? Is that the number one concern in your life right there? Can you believe that? I can. You know why? Because I, 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 I fall for that all the time. While I know that God has given this such an amazing sacrifice, and I hear a wonderful message from the Bible, sometimes my concern is like, where do I fit in the greatness scale? You know what I mean? Like, like as, a, as a church leader or a pastor in ministry, like you, you, you look at other churches that are like doing wonderful, and I'm like, man, how come I'm not like that? And I fall for that trap all the time. I admit, I admit. you know, when I go to different churches, man, that, that building looks so cool. How come ours isn't like that? Or I look at their, or I look at my life. I'm 38 years old, and like, all right, somebody 38 years old, like, it should have a certain amount of income. Where do I fit in that scale? You know, I begin to compare. I fall for that trap of comparison game. I'm supposed to be this, but I'm, I'm here, or I'm, I, I, oh, I'm pretty good because I'm better than this, better than that guy or this person. I mean, you know the trap is there. We do that all the time. We seek comfort in the worldly things. And we find ourselves in the scale of greatness. And then we find comfort knowing that we're above somebody. And we kind of be discouraged because we're under somebody. Because yes, if there is a greatness scale of this world, we fit in somewhere. You know, the rankings. And when we try to seek comfort in that, we're doing exactly what the, great, the, the disciples are doing. We're, where do I... Where do I find my value in the comparison game? But you know this. There is no win in the comparison game. There is no win in that. Because all we find is we, we, we take comfort in the values of this world. But what Jesus is saying is completely the opposite. You know, we, we find ourselves in trying to find value in this worldly values in the meantime, God is saying, you are precious in my sight. You're, you're amazing. I love you. And Jesus is offering himself to us, my body, my blood, so that you never have to find value in the comparison. Because I died for you. I gave myself to you. You are precious. And that is the message of Jesus. And then in the meantime, we're like, where do I fit? Who's the greatest? Jesus is teaching here. You know, that's how the world operates. That's exactly how the world operates. But that is not how I operate. That's not what I'm saying. He says in verse 25, Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves by benefactors. In other words, the world is in that system. You know, whoever has power, they're the greatest. And people follow them, people look up to them. And that's how greatness works in this world. But, verse 26, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules 
like the one who serves. Jesus is reminding us what is greatness according to his sight, his standard, how he lived. Because that, us pursuing true greatness in God's sight, that leads us to Jesus. See, remember Jesus, he's washing their feet. He is serving them. He is doing the work of a servant. A king of glory gave himself away in serving his people, his disciples. I mean, that's servanthood. And then as a lamb of God, he was obedient to the will of the Father. The Father's will was for him to die on the cross. Of course he didn't want to do that. But he obeyed because he knew he was the Lamb of God and he depended and trusted in his Father. See, if we want to be great in the world, yeah, go ahead and compare with other people and then go to the top. Even if you have have to stab someone in the back, if you have to kick somebody off, just go and be the greatest. Betray all you need. Go on the top. Because you, you, if you want to get there, go do that. That's how greatness works in this world. But if we want to be great in God's sight, Jesus is saying, be the youngest. Be the one who serves. What does it mean to be the youngest? Just a moment ago, I was holding my son. I don't know, for some reason he's not there anymore. But you know, youngest in this room is probably Zent, according to what I could see. I mean, there is a new baby among the, the Davis family. So he's probably the youngest in the church because he's about three weeks old now. But before him, it was Sarah from the Japanese. But then before then, it was Zent. Okay, so let me go. All right, so, but he was the youngest in the room, at least earlier, but not somewhere he's gone. But, um, you know, to be the youngest to, is to be like that. What does that mean? I have a video that I want to show you. Zio is, oh, not Zio, but Zent is like discovering his feet and arm could work together to crawl. And then he's like walking and he's, he's, he's enjoying his freedom. He needs to find freedom. Is it there? I think so, right? Yeah. And he's like, he's crawling and then he's, there's a step. You know, that's all we have, one step. But he can't go over that. So like he's enjoying his freedom. But then when he encounters something he can't conquer, he just cries he's like all right i'm crying pick me up so that i could go over this step all right and then like every time he's like and then he runs into a wall or he runs into a door he's like all right i'm crying i need you to come and help me pick up so that i could open the door and see my mommy inside the bathroom i mean he's like that's how he operates i mean he loves to enjoy his freedom because he does what he can but when he can encounter something he just cries out loud waiting for a parent to come and just like do something. Being the youngest means like that. In our relationship with God, we are given this freedom and then we go and do our thing. But when we encounter something that we can't do, we just cry out to God because we say, we need you, Lord. I can't do anything without you, actually. Yes, I'm given the freedom that you've given me. You're giving me the ability to move around, crawl around. But I will encounter some issues, and I'm going to depend on you because I can't do nothing without you, God. I mean, that is the dependence. As the youngest in the room is the youngest, meaning that we have full reliance on our Father. It's the faith that says, I'm nothing without you. I need to depend on you. Yes, I have the freedom to do things, but at the end of the day, I will choose to depend and I will try, I will cry out to you because I can't do anything. 
you know, that picture of the youngest, kind of this helpless child that is, that even though he, there's freedom choosing to depend on the Father, it's the image of Jesus. He had all the freedom, right? Because he was the Son of God. He could have done anything, but he chose to die on the cross. He could have said, you know, I'm not going to die for these people. They're a bunch of jerks. Why do I have to die for them? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to get poked or like, like, you know, not poked, but nailed. I, mean, I don't want to get stabbed. I don't want to get through that. And Jesus said, take this cup away from me, God. But ultimately trusted in the Father's will. It says, if it is your will, may it be done. I mean, he had all the freedom. He could, done, he could have done anything, but he chose to obey because he fully depended on God, the Father. And then he served. When we imitate that type of dependence on God, we imitate Jesus Christ in this world. When we serve like him, getting down on our knees and then washing others' feet, that's when we get to imitate Jesus Christ. Because we know how much God loves me. Like, I know how much, I can't help but to serve. I can't help but to get on my knees because I know I'm so loved. I want people to know that they're loved too. And that's when that becomes our attitude in serving others. We imitate Jesus Christ. When we choose in our freedom, when we choose to serve God, fully depend on God, we represent Jesus Christ. So at the last meal of his life, in his earthly life, before the resurrection, obviously, Jesus offered himself, says, I offer to you, I want you to receive me. And then he says, what does it mean to be greatness? Great in my sight. What is true greatness? What is true greatness, do you think? I believe it is for us to fully depend on God and then be eager to serve. I'll say that again. True greatness is, is us being fully dependent on God and then be eager to serve. That's greatness, isn't it? That's what the Bible is teaching us. Now we're going to look at how this story unfolds, how this meal comes to an end. And I guarantee you this will encourage you. Let's look at the word. It says, verse 31, Simon, Simon, this is after the meal. Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. This is Peter, by the way. That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And as you know, Peter replies, I'm not going to betray you. You know, I'm I'm fine. I'm going to follow you to the death, to death. But then Jesus says, you know, you're going to betray me before the rooster crows. Like, you will say, I don't know you. And then, then you, know, you know that how that story goes. But sadly, Satan entered Judas, right? But Satan is also coming after Peter and the disciples. As you saw here, he's going to be sifting all of us. And then, as you know, Peter betrayed Jesus. I don't know you. And then the rooster crowed. Is it crowed or crew? I, 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 I don't know. Okay, crows, or, but the past tense. Crowed. Okay, so I was right. Okay, good. Crowed. I always have issues with that. It's hard. Anyways, um, all of them betrayed them. Like Peter and all the disciples. When they saw Jesus on the cross, they're like, oh man, that was my master, but not anymore because that's a sinner. Like that's like dying like a sinner. How miserable. I thought he was going to be this leader of polit- politic and in in this uh, military leader that's going to take us away from the R- Roman oppression. But he's on the cross and they all left. They've all fled the scene. These disciples, 
kind of like Judas, right? But then we know eventually these disciples, Peter and all, they became fully dependent on God and they were eager to serve. We know that because through them, thousands of people began to know Jesus Christ. They went and helped and established the church and they became leaders and then eventually they were martyrs for the name of Jesus. What is the difference between Judas and Peter and the rest of them? They saw Jesus rise. They witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And that's when they knew, man, this is the true Lord. Unfortunately, Judas never had that opportunity because before all that took place, he killed himself. That's the difference. We know the resurrection. We heard and witnessed through our spiritual eyes of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that death isn't over. This death is not the end. And you know, when you come to think about it, that's exactly what Jesus' prayer was all about. Jesus knew that Peter would fall and stumble and fall. But Jesus prayed that his faith may not fail. Jesus prayed so that when you come back, and Peter, boy, he came back, go and strengthen your brothers and sisters. That's exactly what Peter did. Jesus knew that he's going to fall, he's going to betray, but he prayed for him, that his faith will not fail. And then later on, he came and strengthened many, and he became a fisher of men, just like Jesus said. He became fully dependent, and he was eager to serve to his death. I mean, that was Peter. What do we make sense? What do we we take from that? We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to commit sin. We're going to be discouraged. We're going we're gonna to feel like we're, 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 we get lost in the comparison game. We will. Well, I have. And I will. But please know that Jesus prayed for you. And he is praying for you so that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for you so that your faith will not fail. So that you will rise with him again and again. That's Jesus' prayer for you so that when you come back, when you rise back up, make sure you go and strengthen your brothers and sisters. That is the life of our overflow. When we come out of that funk, out of that time of, of, of sadness or perhaps just discouragement, we, are rise up, we will rise up again with Christ, with His resurrection power, and then we will go and strengthen others. Amen, church. That is going to be our story. Because we know the story that right here, it's going to end in Jesus being captured and he's going to be crucified. We know how that story unfolds. But that's not how God's story ends. His story ends in the resurrection. And it goes on to see the resurrection. You might be going through a tough situation. You might be going through a time of depression, maybe time of discouragement with the unknowns. Scary times. But know that that's not the end. The resurrection awaits because Jesus will rise with you. Do you believe in that church? Amen? Amen. 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 All right. And that is the life that we get to live together. And now this week, we have some weekly challenge that I want you to take a look at. Please take a picture of this. Take it home with you. And then please just just pray through that and think through that. Read through that. So here is the no question. Please read that chapter again, verse 1 through 38. Imagine yourself being in that room with Jesus that night of that Last Supper. 
What are the words of Jesus that are standing out to you, stood out to you? Think about that. And then the girl piece. You know, she said the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who serves. What does that mean to you? What kind of adjustments would you need to make so that you could be the greatest according to his sight? And then the overflow, just like Peter did, encourage someone. You know, come out of that or or rise with Jesus. And now, just like he prayed for him, he is praying for you. Please know that and go and be an encouragement. Go and overflow with the love of Jesus Christ that you have been poured into. And that's how we get to live this week. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we thank you for today and your message, the unchanging word of God. We thank you, God. So Lord, we acknowledge that there are times in our lives that we fall. We fall hard. We fall on our face. That's when we know that Jesus is praying for me. Jesus went through death, but that didn't end with the death of the cross. It transitioned into the resurrection of Christ. So we believe in that. We trust in that. Even though we will fall, we will rise back up because of Christ and the power of the resurrection. So we trust in that promise. We trust in what took place that night. And Jesus, you gave yourself to us so that we could be encouraged. You, are, you gave yourself the body and the blood so that we may rise with you once again. So we pray that this week we get to go through that resurrection again. And with that resurrection comes an encouragement, being encouragement to other people. So would you guide our lives in that way? this week and beyond. But first, help us to know that you love us and that you will rise with us and death is not the end. We thank you, Lord, for your promise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.